Guys, SAS Open is our next big event in New York City, March 16th and 17th. We'll have a thousand SAS leaders all sharing how they built their companies. Our keynotes are Henry Shuck, Marie Martins from Tally.SAO, Serbi from Symbol, Christopher of DocHub, who had a big exit. Again, hundreds of speakers, a thousand plus attendees. And we've got folks bringing their entire executive teams because we have stages for founders heads of product, head of finance and BD, CMOs and CROs, and then a people in HR stage. It's going to be special. Prices are increasing every week, so you don't want to wait. Go to sasopen.com right now to see what the ticket price is and lock in your spot today. Again, that's sasopen.com, March 16th and 17th in New York City. Tickets are almost sold out. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Guys, MoxieWorks Startup, a spinoff with one big customer paying single-digit millions per year back in 2012. They brought in York to scale the business. They now serve 3,500 brokerages. Think of them almost like Salesforce, but for brokerages and a lot of other details and, and, and individual products sort of uh, uh, silos built on top of that base platform. Those customers are paying a bunch of money now, multi-year deals. They've, they're close to 50 million bucks in run rate. Uh, growing rapidly. Uh, they've got healthy expansion revenue through ARPU expansion and also what they call COLA, those multi-year deals they accelerate. Um, looking to be acquisitive. Obviously, they're backed by a private equity firm called Vector, uh, looking to do more deals, hopefully in the near future as uh, the markets compress and deal prices get a little bit more into York's liking. We'll see what happens. Hey, folks, my guest today is York Bauer. He's a startup and turnaround executive with a unique blend of general management, sales, and marketing skills. He specialized in venture-backed and family-owned technology companies, helping them get their product right, then go to market using direct sales, marketing, BD to make revenue growth, scale, and profitability happen. He's now building MoxieWorks.com, which is a leading residential real estate platform. York, you ready to take us to the top? Uh, Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, Nathan. Great to be with you. All right. What does that mean? Leading residential real estate platform. Are you selling to brokers, consumers, buyers, or someone else? Uh, we sell to brokerages, and in particular, the enterprise brokerage. Uh, one of the lessons learned, uh, I think, is the consumer and small business part of the market is very hard. As a SaaS company, you always have to be concerned about churn. And boy, you can't avoid it at the low end of the market. So we chose a decade ago when we started this journey to, to concentrate on the enterprise. How does adjustments in SOFR affect your business? A lot of these brokers can't get cheap money anymore. It was 4%, 5% cheaper about eight months ago. Does that mean they churn from Moxie? No, because again, with the enterprise focus, the the customers we have, we, we're not only on the large brokerage end, we're also on the quality brokerage, the full service brokerage end, which means that these companies tend to be better run, they are profitable, and they don't rely on the kind of funding that you've seen some of the new model uh, real estate experiments, I'll call them in the last five to 10 years, uh, you know, that have been heavily dependent on funding that's now dried up. That's not the case for the traditional uh, well-run full-service brokerage. Very cool. Okay. So what are they paying for? What do they get? So think of us as salesforce.com for residential real estate. And it's more than just CRM. It's a whole suite of products, uh, websites, presentation software, the CRM, of course, um, management tools, uh, recruiting tools, et cetera. Everything you need essentially for 
a brokerage to give an agent to be successful. Um, and they're buying it though very much like they would buy, like any company would buy Salesforce.com. They're they're buying it on a monthly, uh, you know, ARPU SaaS basis. Uh, and we license, we don't do what are in our industry, at least are known as hunting license deals. And we're licensing the entire enterprise up front on a multi-year deal, as opposed to, hey, we have X customer, here's a lot, we have X customer. What it means is you can just, you're allowed to sell into them onesie twosie. Uh, that's a that's a beating. So we, again, have focused on the enterprise. And I, that would be the one word of, of I guess, advice I would give. If, if you can generate something for the enterprise, that's going to be a higher... It, it's harder to sell into at the beginning, yes, but it's so much more durable and stable uh, over time. Yep. So you say you're selling multi-year deals. Give us a sense of range here, right? What's the average brokerage paying you per year to access this technology? Are we talking ten grand, a hundred grand, a million? Sure. It, it it varies all over the map. Our small deals are typically fifty thousand in ARR. Um, although we don't concentrate heavily on that end of the market, we tend to focus on more, we would call at least the middle market, which is, I'd say, you know, 100 to 500 grand ARR. But we have customers, uh, a number of them that are uh, single digit millions per year for us. So it's really a a spectrum. Yeah. That's the best clue you can look in a SaaS company to go, do they have the ability to drive net dollar retention above 150? Is how many customers are paying more than a million bucks a year? It sounds like you've already got a couple of them. Yeah, actually, we have uh, about a half dozen. So we've. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and it's you know it's funny. One of the jokes I make is Vox is the overnight success that took ten years. I mean that's the uh, <laughs> that's the other message for entrepreneurs out there. You know this this business takes grit, and I think the successful businesses, when you look at them, they all have a long history of grinding, and we are no exception. So you launched I th- it went in twenty ten. Yeah, I came to the company actually in twenty twelve. The company started as a spin-out in 2011. Um, the leadership, um, there was a change made in the leadership, which brought me in in 2012. Did that also come with a round of funding? Were you backed sort of by VCs? Uh, interesting. We're, we're kind of on the SAT test. We're the ones that don't belong in terms of funding. <laughs> we started, as I mentioned, as a spin-out. And we were originally funded by the parent that spun us out, which was uh, a real estate brokerage here in, the, I'm in Seattle, here in the Northwest called Winnemere Real Estate. And we had some funding from them and a couple other uh, key customers that helped us get going. And then we brought actually a private equity firm in Vector Capital in 2019. Uh, that's been our capital partner since then. Interesting. Was that a minority buyout or majority buyout? Uh, it was a majority, uh, but our three existing customer investors, the previous investors, remain both customers and investors of significance. Uh, so it's been a really good partnership, actually, to have both, both customers and an experienced PE in the boardroom. Were you, I guess you weren't in charge of leading the spin out in 2012, right? Or were you? No, I came immediately after that. Yeah, I see. I see. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you: are, are you know those those customers that were part of the funding back in 2012? Are they one of those six handful today paying more than a million bucks per year? That would be great alignment. The, the yes, they are, and uh, it's interesting because when I came to the company, the reason I consider it more of a startup than than perhaps other spin outs is when we spun out, the only customer was the customer we spun out of. So, I mean, it really oh, wow. it was a luxury in the sense that we actually had a customer. But, you know, beyond that, it was a total startup. And we had to can find ask you, build all the tech anyway. Can I ask you back in that day, back in 2012, what was total revenue just from that one customer? Do you remember? Yeah, it was it was very low single digit millions. Very low. Okay, so it was a pretty significant. It wasn't like a $10 a month customer. It was totally. And, it, and really, really what it gave us was the 
the experience of having a a large enterprise customer from day one, and as you guys, I'm sure your audience knows, you know, if you're customer focused, which I've always believed in being, having that customer to to interact with, to refine, to, to cycle through, and use as a reference, and all those things that we we hope for, that was definitely I used the term luxury earlier. It was definitely for me as a pseudo founder. I'm not the founder, but you know, I came in essentially at the beginning of the business. But to have that that one anchor customer was certainly very helpful. Yeah, we we call that one anchor customer paying these upfront fees. We call those product roadmap acceleration fees. Yes. Right? <laughs> well said. Yes. <laughs> All right. So from that one customer who was your spin out in 2012, fast forward to today, how many customers are you serving now? Uh, we have, it depends on exactly how you categorize it. But when you look at the total brokerage entities that we serve, it's about 3,500. Okay. And uh, in some cases, that's through some master relationships. Um, for example, our largest customer is a, a company called Anywhere, which is the largest real estate entity in the United States that uh, has more than 200,000 agents across seven franchise brands that they operate. Things you would recognize like Cobalt Banker and Sotheby's and Century 21. Um, <laughs> so we have we have 3,500 customers and about 400,000 agents under those 3,500 customers that use our stuff. Interesting. Okay, but just to be clear, the three thousand five hundred sort of brands, logos, companies are the ones paying you directly. They pay for four hundred thousand. That's correct. Yeah, we don't we don't sell directly to the agent uh, for reasons that. And, and there's actually a bit of a lesson in here. Perhaps when I came to the company, I have both an enterprise and a B two C background in my career. I actually got tempted to go after the agent, but I realized pretty quickly it's like a consumer business. It looks it masquerades as business because these are agents and they're doing business. But in reality, they behave like a consumer, which means the CAC is really high, the support burden's really high, and they churn like crazy. But other than that, it's amazing. So, yeah. so I learned that pretty quickly and shifted uh, all all guns to the enterprise. That's pretty. That's pretty wild. Um, okay, yeah, that makes tons of sense. Now, now, can I take? We talked about sort of ARPUs and ACVs earlier. I mean, can I take thirty five hundred times, you know, fifty thousand bucks a year? I mean, that would put you guys over hundred million bucks in revenue at this point. Yeah, we're not quite there because the pricing in volume it, it's it's much more stratified in our business than it might be in a typical B two B. In other words, you have on the small end of the market, the pricing is pretty high, and then on the volume end, it's very low. So we're we're more in the in the middle there. We're we're in the fifty million range. Do you think you? Can, I don't know what your growth rate is. Do you think you can break a hundred million this year in terms of run rate? I think this year is going to be challenging. You guys all see in the headlines what's going on in the housing market. So I think it'll be challenging to do this year. But we absolutely will break a hundred million uh, in the in the coming you know couple three years. That's certainly our plan. Let me go back to you personally for a second, because this is sort of an interesting origin story. You've now been at the company for, you had your 10-year anniversary uh, anniversary recently, but you're not the founder. I mean, what's it like being recruited in sort of after the original founders leave? And also, why is it worth it for you? Why not you just go launch something yourself that you own 100% of? How do they incentivize you? Sure. No, it's, a, it's a great question. And I think, you know, the entrepreneur's journey is a very lonely one. And... um I just felt like, you know, you read my bio, I felt like one of the things that I've developed an expertise in is to help family offices essentially take businesses that they have in some form and really multiply them. So, you know, I've I've taken what was this embryonic thing and turned it into, I think, a pretty good mature business for them. I like doing that. And the incentives along the way have been typical CEO equity based uh, incentives, as well as, you know, frankly, a decent cash package. So 
it, yeah. it works out. It depends on what you want. You know, being an entrepreneur from zero sounds attractive, but it also comes with a, a lot of headaches when you can when you can come into something, as I mentioned, that already has some traction, already has a customer and has some basis of understanding some organization to it. Um, that just accelerates your ability to grow it from there. And to me, to some extent, it's about having um, you know, a smaller piece of a larger pie is how I like to, to think of it. I'm not some you know, ego-driven person that has to own it all. Yeah, yeah. I, it's always an interesting question because there are some people that love zero to one. And there are some people that are like, I prefer one to 10. Um, yes. And I just always wonder with those folks that are in the one to 10 category, you know, Look, I don't know what your comp is. I'm not going to ask you to, to reveal that live. Sure. But most CEO comps, you know, in this kind of situation, you're going to be making cash 250 to 350, and you're going to have an equity slug that's something between sort of five and 20% of the business, somewhere, somewhere sort of in that range. And I always just wonder, man, I don't know if it's a courage thing or if it's just a risk thing, but if they just start it from scratch, they can own 100% and pay themselves whatever sure. they want. Well, and in fairness, I've done that a couple of times. And okay. zero to one, it sounds good. But for everyone that succeeds, like you say, and I, I say this routinely, I just said to somebody last week, zero to one is harder. Right? Zero to one is the hardest thing. It can be the most gratifying thing, but boy, the failure rate is off the charts. And yeah. I've I've been there. I've done that. I've had successes and failures. And I figured at this point in my career, I just wanted to, to do the one to 10. I've, did, I've had the good fortune, Nathan, to do all these things. I worked for Microsoft in the early 90s, at, you know, 10,000 employees all the way down to starting my own stuff. So it's and I don't think, by the way, one is inherently better than than any other of those range of models. It's what you prefer, and it doesn't have to be the same, right? It can vary throughout your career. Yeah. Who recruited you in? Was it was it was it? I think he pronounced it Jacoby or Obi Jacoby at Windermere. Obi Jacoby. Yeah. Ultimately, he was the decision maker, but I got found through uh, through a headhunt through an executive recruiter here in Seattle. Ah, I see. Okay, and then I guess you look. I, I think uh, Robert Amen, managing director of Vector, sort of led the deal. What's it like, sort of working with a PE firm? I mean, one of the advantages is you've got. I think when they did the deal, they had four billion in AUM. Maybe it's more now, but if you can identify some takeover targets, you can really put together a nice sort of hub and spoke model here. Have you been yeah. acquisitive? We have. We've done three acquisitions, actually, in the last three years. So we haven't been drunken sailors. It's important to note that that both I personally, but also Vector and Rob have good discipline. So we we haven't, you know, we didn't go nuts. And that was the difference, I think, by the way, between a PE and a VC approach in these last several years. PEs are much more disciplined. And I think that that serves uh, things well now in a, in a slowdown. Um it's been really good. Vector is not only of size with, as you mentioned, the $4 billion under management, but also the oldest, sort of a fun fact for your audience, the oldest tech-only private equity firm in the country still run huh. by the same guy that founded it, Alex Slusky. Rob's been there 20 years. So this is a, the OG of, of this. And I think we were, um, I, I don't want to call this an experiment, but we were a, a bit, you know how the, the PE and VC worlds have blended somewhat in the last five years. We were yeah. one of those in the middle of the blend kind of experiments because we were much more of a growth investment than uh, they would be typically used to doing uh, as a PE. But it's worked out really, really well. And I mentioned earlier the combination of their expertise with our customers that also sit on the board. So it's been really good for me as a, as a CEO because I can draw on the expertise and, and the sort of alternate perspectives that they each bring to the, the conversation. It's been a very <laughs> productive relationship. How many are on the board? Three, five, seven, twelve? Uh, I'm not a fan of huge boards as, as a side yeah. comment, but uh, but there's six of us in total on the board. 
Oh, that's rare. You very, I mean, so how do you not, I mean, usually you very it's, rarely hear an even number, well, it's right? Just, it's either five or fairness, seven. You're right. It's actually a seven person board. There's just a vacant seat at the moment. Oh, I see. Okay. Very cool. Got but it. It's been a very collaborative approach. It is never, we've never had contention that would cause a, a problem in that regard anyway. Yeah. So yeah. that's nice. That's nice. Um, just to be clear, though, there is no traditional VC dollars here. I mean, the cap table today looks like an ESOP pool, you, Windermere, maybe a customer or two, and Vector, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Very cool story. I guess last couple of questions here, because you're unique in this regard in the multi-year contract deal. Now, when I see founders doing multi-year deals, the smart ones build in accelerators of something like 5 to 10% or inflation adjustments sort of at the end of every year. Talk to me how you structure those multi-year deals. Sure. Yeah, we've we've done uh, that as well. Uh, not 100% of the deals. Sometimes it's hard to get that over the finish line, those those accelerators. But where we can, exactly. we have. Um, the other thing I think that's... Well, York, what do you ask for? What accelerator do you ask for typically? It's typically a COLA, cost of living. You know, it's how we phrase it so that it seems reasonable. It's essentially an inflation clause. So it's a couple um, points per, per year, right? 3% after year one, 4% yeah, after year two. That's right. That type of scenario. We also have, in some cases, some performance accelerator clauses uh, with some of our customers. Like if we can drive certain results that that they will pay us uh, incrementally. But the I thing was that I say would the hit the hit. I was going to say real quick before we move on. The hit on multi year deals is you lose the ability to drive NDR because you've already locked them into like a committed fee. So how do right. you preserve your ability well, to upsell? Okay, so I'll go back real quick to my Salesforce comment. So. And you mentioned hub and spoke. So the the way that we've chosen to go about our business is put the platform in place. We call that Moxie Cloud. And then we have these modular products that we put on top, as well as we've built an ecosystem of 150 partners that plug into our platform. So we make money. We license the entire enterprise typically for either a single or in some cases, a subset of our product family. So our growth comes less from license count growth, although you know, sometimes our customers grow acquisitively or organically. Most of our growth comes by adding products, not licenses. ARPU ARPU expansion. Yeah. Yeah. And so it depends on your model, but I think in an acquisitive, you know, I've been building this company to be acquisitive and grow through that acquisition as well as this partner model, because of course we take part of the freight for the partner. So that's how we built the the business the way it is. So our, our primary growth is not about you know driving more licenses in the fee for the single product that we have. It's about selling them more of our product family. Yeah, that makes tons of sense. All right, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, favorite business book. <laughs> um, I'm I'm a motorcycle guy, uh, as you can probably tell by some of the paraphernalia. And there's a um, book from way back called Well Made in America, and it's a story of Harley Davidson's fascinating business story behind that company. Um, that uh, is a favorite of mine. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Uh, this is a controversial one, but I, I do watch very actively what Musk does. Um, he's I, I'm, I'm an all-in podcast listener, for example. And as you know, those guys are pretty close to the man. And I just, well, I don't necessarily agree with everything. I think he challenges us to think outside the box of the trite phrase, but he actually does it. And I find that very helpful to spur thought. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building MoxieWorks? Ooh, um, I'm not sure that there's a single one. Um, uh, I, I will say I do find um, the um, online, and there are many sources, obviously, of 
the information about what's going on in PE and VC land, and frankly, podcasts like yours are, it's important to have a multitude of perspectives and you got to have that coming in all the time. York, how many hours of sleep are you getting every night? I'm old. So I'm getting <laughs> six to seven. <laughs> Look, I'm young, I think, and I get eight or nine. So I, oh sleep man, some, you're my hero. Important. Yeah. Sleep's important. <laughs> all right. And what's your situation? Married, single kids? Married long time. My wife and I um, have been, uh, we're three, over three decades in now. Wow. How many kids? Any kids? Two kids, a uh, son who's a data scientist at 31, and a daughter who uh, actually worked for Moxie and just left. She and her husband, he's a, a big time influencer and former Olympian runner. So they're oh, working wow. on that business together pretty successfully. Did she make it past her cliff? Yeah. And, you know, as the CEO, <laughs> I was pissed that she left, but as dad, I was excited. So, you know, that's, one of those, that's awesome. one of those that's days. Awesome. All right. And how old are you, York? I'm 58. Last question something you wish you knew when you were 20. I'm sorry, say it again? Something you wish you knew back when you were 20 oh, years old. Um, the same thing that you hear a lot, which is, you know, take the entrepreneurial route. I started my career uh, less entrepreneurially, and that was pretty common, by the way, for people in my generation then. But, you know, start early with the entrepreneurship because it doesn't get easier as you have a family and other obligations. Guys, Moxie Works Startup, a spinoff with one big customer paying single-digit millions per year back in 2012. They brought in York to scale the business. They now serve 3,500 brokerages. Think of them almost like Salesforce, but for brokerages and a lot of other details and, and, and individual products sort of uh, uh, silos built on top of that base platform. Those customers are paying a bunch of money now, multi-year deals. They've, they're close to 50 million bucks in run rate. Uh, growing rapidly. Uh, they've got healthy expansion revenue through ARPU expansion and also what they call COLA, those multi-year deals they accelerate. Um, looking to be acquisitive. Obviously, they're backed by a private equity firm called Vector, uh, looking to do more deals, hopefully in the near future as uh, the markets compress and deal prices get a little bit more into York's liking. We'll see what happens. York, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks. Appreciate it, Nathan.